0: Sunday, your brother Bobby asks me, do you use notes in the pulpit? Now, now you know. <laughs> yes. I tried to keep it a secret, but I couldn't. No. Um, that was actually a perfect hymn to sing, um, considering what we're going into, because we're going into a passage of scripture that is quite weighty. Um, and it's very sobering. I mean, if you look at the title, at least that I called it, is Hated uh, Without Cause. And the fact of the matter is um, we, we need to hear this passage. We always need to hear God's word. But I think we need to be reminded specifically of the fact that we are living in a, in a world that actually... Hates Jesus and, at its core, hates you and me. And it, it, we've been talking about love the last several chapters, and now it's like we're going all the way on the other side, and we're talking about hate, hatred. And so it's very sobering to think of that. But that him He Will Hold Me Fast, was... Just such an encouragement to my heart in the midst of what we're looking at, in in the sense that no matter what happens in the world in which we live, what we do know is Christ loves us, though the world hates us, and he will hold us fast through the entire thing. And so it was such a fitting hymn. But I do want you to know that this passage may, as we go through it, will be somewhat sobering and, and weighty. So we saw last week, before we read it, I uh, invite you, you can turn in your Bibles to John um, chapter 15, but last week we saw how Jesus prepared his disciples for the mission of bringing the gospel to the world. He, he talked to them about bringing, uh, uh, preparing for that mission with the armor of Christ's love for one another uh, the encouragement of realizing that Jesus, uh, that we are friends of, of Jesus, and the power of prayer in his name. And that was in verses 12 to 17. And so now in these verses, uh, he encourages them in, in the sense that he is encouraging them to exercise his same patience and he's exhorting them to endurance in the truth. And so just as, as Jesus said, look at my example of love and this is how you are to love one another. So here in this passage, Jesus says, this is your expectation in the world. And as they hated me in the world, so they will hate you. This is an example of what is the, not necessarily going to manifest itself all the time, but this is actually the norm for those who follow Christ. And the reason that they needed to know this is because he, he's sending them out on this mission, and he, he needs them to know that godly teachers and, and faithful Christians are never going to be able to avoid hatred and opposition from the world. Like, our temptation is to want to avoid it, but if you're faithfully following Jesus you might think like, oh, well, my life should all be perfect and not follow any persecution or anything. But the fact of the matter is, if you follow Jesus, Jesus's point is that you can expect hatred, not acceptance from the world. If you think that you, the world is going to be on your side as a follower of Jesus or accept you as a follower of Jesus, um, Jesus says we are sadly mistaken. And so really what this comes down to is what Jesus has talked about in, his, in the other Gospels, during his ministry, and at the heart, it, it's a reminder that following Jesus comes with a cost. Following Jesus comes with a cost for you and, and, and for me. And he's always made that point. And so we're going to see here in this passage, uh, he's going to present that axiom of hatred uh, for Jesus in verses 18 to 19. Then he's going to show us his example um, in verses 20 to 25. And then he's going to give them these words of preparation in chapter 15, verse 26, um, through chapter 16, verse 4a. So if you're taking notes and you want it, it's just axiom, example, preparation, okay? So let's hear God's word now in uh, John 15, verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. This concludes the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word of exhortation and encouragement here that you have left for us, the reminder for us that we are living in a world in which we are not welcome, a world that despises us and a world that at the end ultimately rejects and hates you. And and you've reminded us that we ought not to be surprised by that. We thank you for uh, this lesson that you give to us here in your word and we ask For the blessing of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us by by the study and meditation in your word, that you would give us a proper view of the world in which we live um, so that we might be better equipped to stand and ultimately remember that you have promised to hold us fast even in the midst of a world that uh, seeks our destruction. And we thank you for living in this world and for willingly coming to die for our sin, for laying down your life so that a world that hates you would put you to death so that ultimately you might rise again and that we might be saved through you. Lord Jesus, thank you for for being our Savior. And help us now to think rightly and soberly about our place in this world. We ask for your grace and blessing on this study in Jesus' name, Amen. So I was, I was thinking about this passage and I, and kind of reflecting on the fact that we do live in a in a day and age, and you can see it, where I think the results of compromising with the world in order to avoid confrontation has led a lot of churches to, you might say, be uh, lukewarm and compromising God's word. And and uh, many of the rebukes and admonishments that are given to the churches, if you read the book of Revelation in chapter 2 and 3, Jesus rebukes churches. And, and when you look at the rebukes of churches in Revelation, uh, they're often rebuked for Giving into the world when it comes to their love for Christ and for one another, when it comes to their morality, he rebukes them for sexual immorality. He rebukes them for a lack of love, and he rebukes them for uh, teaching and imbibing false doctrine. so when they're when he's talking to them about uh, following after. Uh, these gods and these goddesses, and 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 taking Balaam into their church and so on, he's he's rebuking them because they have left his word and they have embraced, they have embraced falsehood. And usually, the reason why that happens is that it often begins with a compromising of the truth. Right, little by little, these things tend to happen. They they don't always happen instantaneously. Like God forbid, this this church would one day be a, not a gospel centered church, not a Christ centered church. Well, if that were to happen, it wouldn't happen overnight. It's not like suddenly you would come here next week and then we would be worshiping at the altar of Baal, right? What would happen is I would eventually and the deacons would eventually and the church would eventually begin to imbibe falsehoods little by little, right? They're, they're fed to you, they're fed to you. And, and e- when you compromise on the truth, eventually that impacts the health of a church right and and so Jesus has a, a rebuke for those churches and sometimes those compromises come uh, i think because in our, in our world and a lot of these you know different churches are compromising because they have been been raised to kind of fear the hatred of of the world and to be ostracized from society to be to be looked at as uh, aliens and as weird and and different. That word different, for many people in our culture, troubles people. You're different than us. Oh, oh I don't want to be different. So So let me find a way that we can kind of match together. Let me compromise so that we can not feel different. And when you do that, you ultimately, you don't bring the world with you, you actually are brought down to be in and among the world. And so, the other churches though, in Revelation, like Smyrna and Philadelphia, what you find is Jesus um, kind of praises them. He, he, He gives them encouragement because Primarily, if you read, they they have patiently endured in Christ's love, and they have been obedient to him and to his word. They held fast, they held fast to the truth, even though hatred for them in the world grew and persisted, they held fast, and Christ held them fast, and so he praises them, now one, I mean, there could be all kinds of reasons why churches in general have left. And yes, it's compromising God's word. But I, I think in the church, besides not teaching the church truth, one of the things that the, the, I think the church has failed to do is to make clear to new Christians and to remind even the seasoned Christians, us, again, that the norm for Christian faithfulness is not love and acceptance by the world. That is not, it has never been the norm. The norm for Christian faithfulness is rejection and hatred. And because we haven't taught as much about the necessity of counting the cost. How many times did Jesus talk to that about people? I want to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus says, are you willing to leave mother and father and brother and sister to follow me? I want to be a follower of Jesus. Are you willing to die for for my namesake if you follow me? I want to be a follower of Jesus. Another one says, are you willing? Do you really? Do you, would you give everything that you own away in order to follow me? He's not saying, do these things to be my disciple in any of those cases. He's not saying, well, leave your family to be my follower, or give away all your money to be my follower, or go put yourself to death to be my follower. His point is, in touching on all of those things for those people, he's touching on them to saying, do you really, have you really counted the cost of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? And we need to make that clear because people naively think that they can faithfully live the Christian life while at the same time ensuring favor or acceptance with the world. Now, many pursued that, and many churches seem to be living at peace with the world. But when you do that, you, you fail to realize that the compromises in life and doctrine in order to be accepted by the world, in order to win favor, means by default that you've joined the world where you compromise in hatred for Jesus. Right? Right? The world hates Jesus. If I compromise doctrine and truth and love in these areas of of my life to be accepted by the world, I'm actually joining the world in that realm in their hatred of, of Jesus. Compromising the truth for the sake of peace with the world means... You, you are building on a different foundation. So the foundations are different. The foundation of the church, the Christian life, is built on Christ, his love, and faithful obedience to his word. That's the foundation that the Christian life is built on. The foundation of the world is exactly the opposite. The foundation the world builds on is rejection of Christ, hatred for Christ, and rebellion against his word. This is the exact opposite. So you can't build a Christian life. You, You cannot stand on shifting sand. You can't build two houses, one on Jesus and one in the world. Because they're two different foundations. And so if you faithfully follow Jesus, you can expect that the world will hate you. And if you have a different expectation, you've got to get it right. Israel needed to learn this. Do you remember Israel? They learned this lesson on multiple occasions. When they came out of Egypt, you see this in Numbers 13 to 14. When they were delivered out of Egypt by Moses, by the power of God and his word, he's leading them into the promised land, right? And as they come to go into the promised land, God says, send them, tell them to send some spies to look at the land. And so Moses sends these spies to go and to look at the land. And when they came back from looking at the land, they saw that the land was filled with milk and honey, it was a good land, it was profitable, it was, it was something to behold. However, at the same time, they found that the Anakim were there, and they were a strong people, and anyone who comes into, into that promised land is going to have to go up against this world that, is, that looks stronger and scarier than, than what you're promising to us, and so they cried and they wept. And they grumbled for fear of their enemies. They're thinking in their mind, God, it is unwise for us to faithfully follow your leading here. God, certainly you have miscalculated your plan, and there is a better way forward to us There's a better way forward, a compromise of some kind so that we can actually be incorporated into these enemies rather than destroyed by them. And you know what they ended up thinking at the end of the day? They ended up, ironically, tragically really, their thought was there's a better way forward and the better way forward is to actually go back into slavery, Their better way forward was to go back into the very world that they were fearing and to try and rebuild their lives there. That's how they thought about it. The hatred and fear of the world actually was so impactful that it drew them back into the world so that they wouldn't face that kind of opposition. And so Jesus and a whole generation was lost because of it for 40 years. And so Jesus is is preparing them to say, I'm bringing you into the promised land and now you are in the wilderness. You're not there in the glory yet. But as you are in this wilderness, you will face the enmity of the world. You will face the hatred of the world. You will face the Anakim of your own. And you're going to have to stand in the midst of that. You're going to have to stand and be faithful. And so I think we need to do that as a church, to gird up our loins, to stand for truth, to prepare the young Christians and the seasoned for that battle. I don't know about you, but I remember when I was a young Christian, I thought, I can overcome any battle that comes my way. I thought, man, there is, I'm going to do so many things for God. I'm going to, you know, over, I'm going to face the world. I was so excited. I'm standing valiantly like I can overcome anything that, that God brings my way. And the, and the Lord is gracious in giving young people that zeal. But without having been properly taught about what the world actually is, when that kind of valiant strength comes against an enemy that they have not yet seen, then you tremble. You tremble when you actually see the enemy that is, that is out there. When the battle actually arises, it's much more scary. And so Jesus is like a a wise general where he's training his soldiers, he's preparing them for what is to come by telling them what to expect. And I think that's what he's doing here in those verses we just read. So here's how he puts it in, again, in verse 18. If the world hates you know that it has hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you so Jesus says Jesus says the the reason they should not be surprised if the world hates them is because there's two, two things here in the first place, and you see, that, see this at the end of verse 19. They have been, don't be surprised and don't be afraid because you have been separated from the world. So right here he's talking about our identity um, in him. He, he says, you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So, so this is not saying, this is not something they should be in fear over or distress. It's something actually to rejoice over. Because it means that they have been rescued. You and I have been rescued from the destruction and judgment that's coming upon the world. We are united to Christ. Christ. And by God's mercy, those united to Christ will be distinguished from the rest of the world. Jesus is telling them, you have a new identity in me. And, they are, and you're going to appear alien in the world. There are aliens after all, isn't that? The Christians are aliens in this world. You're going to appear Alien. Because you're identified and attached to Jesus. This is what he's telling them. What distinguishes them from the world, the world being those who are alive in moral rebellion against God, is that they now belong to the Lord. And when you belong to Jesus, when Jesus says, I chose you out of the world, Jesus is saying, I chose you to belong to me, and because you belong to me, you belong to a different kingdom. You belong under a different monarch, a different president, a a different constitution, a different kingdom. We do not belong in this kingdom. Jesus is saying, I chose you out of this kingdom to come into my kingdom and you belong to me. And so, what that means, as one commentator I read put it, he said, The world is a society of rebels, and therefore finds it hard to tolerate those who are in joyful allegiance to the king to whom all loyalty is due. Former rebels who have by the grace of the king been won back to loving allegiance to their rightful monarch are not likely to prove popular with those who persist in rebellion. Their newly found alien status makes them pariahs in the world of rebels. See what he's saying? Just by your mere identification with Jesus Jesus says the world's going to hate you. And in the second place, this choosing them and bringing them out of the world, it has implications for our lives, right? It's not just because when when you say I'm a follower of Jesus, they automatically hate you. That's not the case. If you go in the world and you say, "Hey, I'm a follower of Jesus," you may not be hated by the world. What actually matters is, what does that mean for you as a follower and, identi- and identifier with Jesus, right? Anyone can say, I follow Jesus, but what does it actually look like? And so the question you, you're, you're to ask, and you, when you think about Jesus, you ask, why did the world hate Jesus? Did the world hate Jesus because he's Jesus? Did the world hate Jesus because he's God? No. No, the world didn't hate Jesus because he's God, ultimately. The world hated Jesus. Jesus tells us why in John 7, 7, the world hated Jesus because Jesus testified to the world that its works are evil. In other words, his life, as contrasted with the life of the world, stood out as light in darkness. And when the world of darkness saw the light of Jesus and the holiness of Jesus in the world, the darkness hated him. And the reason the darkness hated him is because his life shined a light on the evil of the world and reminded them that they are guilty of their sin and they are under God's judgment. And so Jesus, this is why I think when part of the reason when Jesus is led into the wilderness, what Satan wants to do with Jesus is Satan wants to get Jesus to make his home here. Satan wants Jesus to join, in the, join me in this world. Join me in darkness, Jesus. This, this is a serious, hard temptation waged at Jesus in the wilderness. Satan says, use your power, Jesus, to fill your body with bread. I know you're starving, and I know you're hungry. Jesus, your father doesn't know what he's doing clearly. You're starving for 40 days. Doesn't he love you? I'll tell you what, Jesus. Make bread out of these stones. Come on. Join me. Or he says, hey, you know what, Jesus? Jesus. Put your will first, and I'll tell you what, compel your Father to answer you. Jump off this cliff and this temple top, and you know what? Get God the Father to respond to you. Put yourself first, Jesus. Join us. Or, he says, I'll tell you what, Jesus, take the whole world and all the glory which belongs to it. Just reject your father and worship me. And you will have it all. Come into the darkness. And of course our Lord doesn't buckle. Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest as we would have But he remained faithful in all things. He never joined the world in their rebellion. He remained holy in every way. He was without sin, without wrinkle, without fault. He was spotless from sin in every way. And the world hated him for it because it reminded them of the darkness that they were in. And so Jesus says, for his children in this world, it will be the same for you if you follow me and obey my commandments because I chose you out of the world in which you once belonged and I regenerated you by the Spirit of God in order to live for me. And so the world hates you because of your identity with Jesus who they hate hated, and the world hates you as Christians because you actually are called to live for Jesus, and they hate that. This is the world in which we live. That's why he says, if the world hates you, so it doesn't mean it's always going to express that hatred, but if they do, and they will... He says, don't be surprised. Why? Because it hated me before it hated you, you understand? Now, that's the history of the church. Just read Acts, read the apostles. Their lives were marked by abuse and hatred from the world and church history and even our own day, many believers in the world are marked by hatred from the world. And I was just talking to uh, Tavia's brother who's here. He was on a, on a boat and a mission trip and went all around the world, Caribbean and Libya. And there was a hatred there, he just shared with me, in Libya where the with the Muslim background, when they would go to bring medical care there and sell Bibles or give Bibles, that that they would have spies. The world would put spies in there to make sure that they're not mentioning the name of Jesus, that they're not giving Bibles. That, right? That this is a this is the world. They really don't want Jesus in the world. But that's the world that we live in. And so this is why Paul tells young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3:10 to 12, he says. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my claim, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, indeed, Apostle Paul says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, what's the word? Persecuted. Take note. The world's love is actually not love at all because you'll find that the world actually persecutes its own. The world has no problem persecuting its own. And so Paul is not saying persecution is a mark of godliness in and of itself. It's persecution for godly living. So we can go out into the world and get all kinds of people to hate us by being belligerent, right? By inviting persecution on ourselves. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying godliness a godly life invites persecution. I've told this story before and if you've been here for a few years, I know you've, you've heard it, but I'm gonna tell it again because it just cracks me up and it's so applicable. But when I went to junior college, El Camino College, I was young and a new believer. I'm sharing the gospel with people. And I notice there are these people out in the private, in the public speech area, holding signs, yelling, repent, 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 you're going to hell. And so it's like, I'm like, wow, what are these guys preaching? And they're, they're picking fights with people. And there are these Christians out I don't even, I wouldn't even call them Christians but they basically hold signs and they yell at people and they pick fights with people and then they feel like they're being persecuted for Jesus but they're creating the tension and so what happened was I, I see these guys you know ca- talking and I see the, these girls and these crying there and distraught and so I, I had some Christian friends I would go to Bible study with but I they weren't with me so I kind of went on my own and I start kind of trying to give the gospel to this girl who's crying and I'm telling her about God's grace and I'm I'm telling her about forgiveness of sin and see what I'm doing right now how I am using my hands right so I talk so I'm talking to her and my friend says he calls me for he sees me he goes hey Roman get over here and I and I'm like okay you know I'm I'm, I'm in the middle of all this signs and everything and he goes brother you don't you don't want to you don't wanna be involved with, with that group, right? He goes, that, that group's just creating tension and fights and you don't wanna be associated with them. And I'm like, oh, oh you know, okay, I'll, I'll come out. And so I come out and we go and hang out, do whatever we do and, and the next day in the newspaper, in the El Camino newspaper, mm-hmm. on the front page is a picture of this group with their signs, you're going to hell and a picture of me talking to the girl like this, <laughs> right? And, and, so, and so I'm like, oh, I'm so devastated. I'm like, this is just terrible. But the, the point is, like, you can get people to hate you. Just be obnoxious. It'll happen. But being persecuted for that, Peter says, it's not what it's about. It's being persecuted for identifying with Christ and living a godly life will bring persecution. And so that's what, that's the the axiom, okay? But so now Jesus moves into his example, and that's in verses 20 to 25. And he begins by calling them to remember his word to them. He, he, He says in verse 20, And this kind of is like what he told them about humility and washing the disciples' feet, right? If I, your master, wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Humility. He says here, a servant is not greater than his master. And he says, if they persecuted me, and the implication is many of them did, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, and the implication is some of them did, be encouraged, they will also keep yours but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. In other words, he's telling them and he's telling us that yes, the world is going to hate you, but remember that whether you face persecution or acceptance, so whether good or ill comes from your life and ministry in the world, it's not you that they reject or receive when you go out in my name. It's Jesus and my Father who sent me that they reject. That is so important. If, for those that compromise the truth in order to win favor and acceptance from the world, you have to understand that there should be no compromise because you shouldn't even feel bad if the world hates you and rejects you. If they hate you and reject you, it's not about you they're actually hating and rejecting Jesus and the Father who sent him. That's who they ultimately hate, and that's why they hate you, because they belong to them. But at the end of the day, if you go to share the gospel and someone spits in your face and says, get out of here, I never want to talk to you, it's not you. It's Jesus that they, that they hate. And so we ought to remember that they do these things on account of Jesus' name. If we're persecuted, let it be for Jesus' namesake. You know what? It may be discouraging and shocked and shocking when men reject the gospel. But Jesus says, I myself faced no less resistance. They did not know him who sent me. And so the implication of that is that if they'd truly known God, they would have recognized the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. They, if they had known God, they would have seen Jesus, they would have turned to him, but in rejecting Jesus and in not recognizing him, their failure is the damning evidence of their ignorance and blindness that makes them pit themselves at war against Christ. This is why he says, that, that's the ignorance of the world. This is why he says in verse 22, he's, he's telling them, they, they, they hated me and rejected me even though I revealed myself to them. And he says, if I had not come and spoken to them, They would not have been guilty of sin. Now, there he's not saying they would have been without sin. He's saying in in his, he says, but now they have no excuse for their sin. In other words, his point is not that they would have been sinless, but that in his coming and proclaiming his word to them, the world in rejecting that clear revelation of Jesus only intensifies their guilt before God and it increases their condemnation. They are utterly without excuse. And the same can be said for the works of Jesus. Jesus says, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. In other words, he's saying, don't be surprised. The world's going to reject you. They rejected me, and I was the and am the clearest, most perfect revelation of God that the world is ever going to receive and in their ignorance they continue to heap up condemnation in their rejection of me all men are without excuse Romans 1 but God has revealed himself not only through creation which the world rejects but through Jesus Christ and the world doesn't want him and so what more could Jesus do for the world? Nothing. Nothing. He, he did all that he can for the world. In fact, he says in verse 25, But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And so the final point here, the axiom, the example of our Lord, the rejection of him, And now the preparation for them in verse 26 to verse 4. So to begin with there, he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Beloved, you're in a world that is going to hate you, but Jesus says, do not fear because the Holy Spirit who I am sending is coming in my name. He is going to be with you to bear witness with me alongside you as you bear witness for me. He will join you in testifying about Jesus to the world. And so whatever might be thrown against you by the world However strong and wicked it may be, Jesus says, I give you my spirit who will come alongside you. Beloved, if if the Gestapo comes through our doors and wants to take you away to prison because they hate you, are you alone? in prison? You're not alone. You're not alone ever. You never have to fear that God will abandon you for suffering for his name's sake. Jesus says, I'm giving you the spirit to come alongside you and to confirm the gospel that you're preaching and to bring my light into the world. Here's how Calvin paraphrased Jesus's point. He says, true, the world will rage against you. Some will mock and others will curse your doctrine, but none of their attacks will be so violent as to shake the firmness of your faith when the Holy Spirit shall have been given to you to establish you by his testimony. It's well said. Comforting promise, beloved comforting promise and you know what else is comforting about it you'll notice in those verses what is how does jesus refer to the holy spirit he doesn't refer to him as a, I already gave it away he doesn't refer to the holy spirit as an it or an influence or a power but he refers to the holy spirit as a what as a he as a person this means the Holy Spirit whom he gives to us is a personal, it's a, he's personal. He is the third person in the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he is with us, beloved, as we go into this world. He's sent to us by Jesus and the Father. He comes from them to aid us in the mission for which He has called us, and what a comfort it is. J.C. Ryle says, It was God in Trinity who said, Let us create, and it is God in Trinity who says, Let us save. Amen to that. So, our Lord says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Be encouraged. They may put you out of synagogues. They may kill you because they think they're offering a service to God. They're going to do these things because they are ignorant of who I am, Jesus says. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, when they are able to do these things, you may remember that I told them to you. So what's the take home here is basically this. Following Jesus costs something. Getting to heaven costs you nothing. Jesus paid the price fully for that. He atoned for your sin. He took it upon himself. He paid the price. You don't contribute anything to that salvation but being a follower then of Jesus costs something. And if your expectations are that you are going to be loved and accepted by the world, you need to turn that around. It's not the norm. It's not the norm. But God will hold you fast. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. Take heart. Take heart. Christ has overcome the world. We are overcomers in him who died to save us, and he who was in us, beloved, is what is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these sobering words and this reminder here. It's, it makes us uncomfortable to think that we are living in a world that hates us, and and even in some sense, Father, we may not even realize how deep that hatred comes because not everything that takes place in the world is, is manifested in that way. But we know that at the core, Satan is deceptive. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he, he portrays himself as an angel of light when really he is a, a minister of darkness. And he seeks to deceive us and to take us captive by lies and deception, by enticing us with the things of the world, to go back into slavery, to to go back onto that foundation that you delivered us from. Help us, oh God, to be sober-minded and to remember that this world is a world that despised you and rejected you and crucified you and put you to death because they hated you and the Father who whom you came in the name of and they you say will hate us too but though the world hate us lord jesus we are so thankful that you love us we are so thankful that you have overcome the world by the sacrifice that you have given of yourself on our behalf we know that we don't need to be loved by the world what we need is to be loved by you and you have shown that love by giving your life for us we ask oh holy spirit that you would help us to live as we are in christ that we would take uh, the name of christ upon ourselves not just for his name's sake but also for the life that he calls us to live and we would uh, put our feet forward and our hands forward in a way that honors you and pleases you. Help us to be children of the kingdom of heaven whose lives reflect that and, and not children who have one foot in heaven and one foot in this world. We know, oh God, that we are guilty even as we seek to honor you in that way. We know that we still carry around this flesh and we still struggle with our sin We ask that you would forgive us of that, oh God. That you would forgive us for being a people who may have been too much incorporated into this world. That we have no doubt given ourselves over into the things of this world more than we ought to have. You know each of our hearts and our lives. You can see into the privateness of our bedrooms and our cars and and in our living rooms. You see us when we are on vacations, you see us when we're at work and at school. There is nothing that is before you that you cannot see. And so God, we come humbly before you realizing uh, that we bring a lot of sin and error before you. We ask, oh God, in the name of Christ our Savior that you would forgive us of our sin that you would wash us clean as you have promised in the blood of Christ, that we would be set on a path if we have wandered away to a new and fresh path of godly living. Help keep us, O God, from sin and temptation, from that sin that so easily entangles us and ensnares us. Help to keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus Christ that we might not fear hatred from the world. And we thank you that you are faithful to your word to do that. We thank you that you hear our prayers and you give ear to them and you know our weakness. And now we pray, O God, that you would strengthen us for the battle ahead. Help us to be good soldiers, to gird up our loins, O God, and to fight valiantly for the sake of Christ. And we pray that you would manifest your power in this world in which we live. That we might even be used of you, O God, to bring the gospel news of salvation to our lost friends and family and neighbors. That you would use us as ministers of the gospel, as witnesses of your grace toward us. Fill this church, O God, we pray, with repentant sinners. May it be done so in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.